You're listening to audio from West End Community Church in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to check out more great resources or make a donation to this ministry, please visit westendcc.org. Thanks for downloading, and we hope this encourages you today. Brett, many thanks to all of you guys for leading us in worship. And Brooke, thank you for being a part. You guys, my name's Carter Crenshaw. For those of you who hadn't met, Merry Christmas. Want to welcome people on live stream. My wife and I were on live stream last week. We had a little illness hiccup in our family. And we experienced the body of Christ and the love of the body of Christ. I was just telling a young lady who brought us bread from Great Harvest. I hadn't had bread from Great Harvest for, for 20 years. And it was outstanding. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift, I like cinnamon raisin. (laughs) Totally teasing. I want to welcome those of you on live stream too. We had the privilege of watching on live stream last week. Made me incredibly thankful for Scott and Robert and Luke and Lauren and everybody who worked so hard. I do want to remind you, if you're watching us on live stream, you are not watching. You are participating. So I want you to participate with us, and I intend to look at that camera uh, because I'm looking at you, and I want you to look at me, and I'm going to look at all of you too. So really want you to, when you feel comfortable, to come back. Now, let's look at that hymn for just a second, Oh Holy Night. I love the line that Brett sang, a a weary world rejoices. So here's the question I want to ask you. What would help a weary world rejoice? Could we say we're a weary world for all that we've been through? Now, previous generations have been through many things that would be wearying, so this is not comparative. It's just in our generation, we've been through a lot in the last few years. We really have, and I think we're going to continue to go through a lot. So I want to propose the question, what would make a a weary world rejoice? Now, I would ask anybody of any religion, or if you have no religion. Let me propose two things for your consideration. And that would be, if there's real hope. And then secondly, and very closely aligned would be, if there is a real and better future. So a hope and a future. So let me stop and just say that I personally have experienced Christianity as something that offers great hope. And also offers an incredible future. Now, I don't know if y'all realize when Brooke was reading this just a moment ago, she read about an angel. Now, more and more in our culture, people hear us reading that and you say, are you believe that? You think about that. The supernatural has stepped into the natural world. That's what we read about. And so I'm going to read it again because it's extraordinary and you've got to decide if you really believe that it happened. Now we have what we think are credible witnesses, but there are plenty of people who've tried to discredit these witnesses. But you've got to decide what this angel said, who he was talking about, and how you're going to respond. Because Christmas, quite frankly, demands a response. Because it is a divine intervention. And if you've ever been involved, have you ever been intervened on or have you had to intervene in somebody's life? I do that professionally for a living. And it ain't pleasant. But the one thing true about intervention is when you do it, it's because you love them. 
And that's exactly what Christmas is all about. It's a divine intervention by God in a weary world so that we can rejoice with a hope in a future. That's the summary. So stand up. Let me read you the story again. Listen to this. And the reason for it, if you're not familiar with this or not familiar with church, the reason we stand here is we actually believe this is the Word of God. If you don't believe this is the Word of God, just listen and see if it couldn't be a little bit convincing. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was <coughs> greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And even your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive, she's now in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then Gabriel left. Please be seated. Fathers, we think about a weary world. We think about precious people just north and west of us in western Kentucky. Praying for those who've been so profoundly impacted by these tornadoes. Have mercy on us, O oh God. Help us as your people to respond with compassion and great, great help. Help us to extend arms of mercy and generosity. And Father, I pray as we consider the weary world, as we look at our own lives and consider our own weariness, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, this morning, increase our hope and remind us of our future in Jesus' name. Amen. So this breaks down to an announcement, and, uh, an announcement first. And the angel in verses 26 through 30 is revealing to Mary exactly what's going to happen. So it starts out like this. It starts out six months after the event where Gabriel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they, and, and they are told that they will have this son, John, even in their older age. Gabriel comes to Mary, who's actually a, a cousin of, Eliz of Elizabeth's. And this angel comes with a supernatural, a supernatural news of this incredible conception. Now notice if you look in the verses, it says it's Nazareth. It's a town in Galilee, and that's because the people who are originally reading this were probably Gentiles and didn't know exactly where Nazareth was, so it needed to be located. And it was located, obviously, in Middle Tennessee. And so it was really to help people begin to realize that this is a historical event. 
Also notice in 26 through 30, it's twice mentioned that this young woman, probably 13 years old, is a virgin. She's never had sex with a man. So what's about, what's about to happen is very extraordinary. Also know that the angel knows her name because God cares. Look too, that the Joseph, the one who would actually help raise Jesus as the father in the home, was a descendant of David. And so when Mary heard that, her expectations of all that the Old Testament anticipated, particularly the anticipation of the Messiah, the anointed of God, all of those expectations would be raised in her. So the angel starts out and says, greetings. It's basically, hello, how are you? I'm here. It's nothing extraordinary. It's a very common greeting. But what's extraordinary here is you have a heavenly messenger from a larger reality who's breaking into the natural world. Now, let me state the obvious. This is either irrational or supernatural. We're not shrinking away from the supernatural. It's extraordinary. What the Bible says is that there is a larger reality and there are points where that larger reality steps into humanity's story and this would be one. This would be a divine intervention that this angel is announcing. You either believe it or you don't believe it. It's not inherently irrational if you do believe in the supernatural. Now, the secular worldview says this world is all there is. The only thing that's real is that which you can see. I've still not been able to see love. I've seen the reports of love. I've seen the response of love or the fruit of love. But the secular worldview says that if you can see it, it's real. If you can't, you can't, it's not real. The secular worldview says this world is all there is and this is as good as it gets. The supernatural world says there's actually something much larger. And this, these verses speak of the fact that there's a divine intervention. The angel says, greetings. Now notice, he says first, God's favor rests on you, Mary. Now let me say this boldly. Mary was a young, humble, 13-year-old who was not perfect. The favor of God resting on her was not because she was meritorious. The favor of God rested on her because God chose her for an extraordinary part in this larger story, just like he would you and me, men and women. The favor of God can rest on you. Simply ask him. It doesn't come by merit. God is telling Mary here, through Gabriel, that she is highly favored because God intends to use her. And what will he use her for? Well, let me tell you, this divine intervention is all about the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God piercing the kingdom of darkness. Christmas is an invasion. God has landed And things are about to turn around. Now notice, 
The angel says, the Lord is with you, meaning Mary, the Lord is with you and he is working in you. And her response is to be greatly troubled. If you're skeptic about the Bible, one of the things that's helped me convince, uh, convince me about the veracity of the Bible has been the responses of human beings when God has moved powerfully, and this would be no different. The angel shows up, you're highly favored, Mary, and she's troubled to the core. She's deeply shaken, just like you and I would be shaken if a larger reality stepped into our smaller she responded the way you and I would respond if an angel said that you're about to conceive and you've never had sex before. She didn't realize all the implications about what she was about to go through, but she knew her life was being disrupted. And I can tell you this, men and women, when God decides to intervene, things will change because God intends to bring change. And that's how a weary world can begin to rejoice because Christmas is about an invasion or an intervention. Now notice, she's deeply, deeply troubled like you and I would be. And so what does the angel do? He deals with her feelings first. And he says, Mary, he speaks to her because he knows her. And he says, do not be troubled. Why can he say that? Because God loves perfectly, and God loved this young woman. And the Bible says that perfect love drives out fear. Because what does perfect love accomplish? Perfect love is inherently sacrificial. And if you want to know what perfect love is, just look at the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. He loved perfectly all the way to the end. He died for the people who turned their backs on him. People just like you and me. This divine intervention was not something we merited. It was something we oh so desperately need. We all need intervention. And God intends to do it. And so what you have here is an angel who comforts Mary... Do not be afraid, as he knows the expression of perfect love Jesus will be. And so we move on, and here's what's really important. This announcement is an announcement of an intervention. Look at verses 31 through 37. It's an announcement of an intervention. Now again, if you're not familiar with the Christian faith, I want to urge you. I want to urge you, urge you, urge you, urge you, especially in our day, as it's no longer assumed in a culture like ours that it's Christian. I plead with you to understand the Christian faith in its entirety, to understand different world religions, to understand the secular worldview, because the secular worldview is as much a religion as the Christian faith is, and don't believe the lie that it's not. The Christian worldview says that this is the way things are, so accept or reject it based on its merits. But don't be casual towards it, because the Christian worldview says that God has divinely intervened. He starts out, you will conceive, the angel says, and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. So he says boldly, you a virgin will actually have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Names in the 
Bible are very important because they speak of the purpose. And so she's to name him Jesus because Jesus has come for a particular purpose. And so the angel unpacks it. First, he will be great. Now let me stop for just a minute. I want to challenge you to think about something in 2022. How great is Jesus to you? I really want to ask you that. How great is Jesus to you? Let me tell you something. If you are casual about your Christianity, Jesus is not great. If you have one foot in and one foot out, Jesus is not great. If you reject him totally, Jesus is not great. But I would urge you to understand why the angel said he will be great. Because we need greatness. When I say basketball, who do you think of as great? Michael Jordan? I I was thinking of LeBron James. Okay, is that fair? Is Jordan better than James? Okay, he is? Okay, I didn't didn't realize that. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know true greatness. I do in college football. Just kidding. So think of true greatness in college football. You know, and, and there are a lot of great, great teams, great coaches, great players. Think about that. How about this one? Think of true greatness in politics. Now let's stop. That's why we have a problem. You cannot be truly great if you're out for yourself. You're only truly great, according to the Bible, is self is given for other. That's true greatness. And I would urge you to look at the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the angel continues on. He will be called Son of God Most High. What's he saying? He's saying there's only one God, God Most High. And this that will be conceived in you is the Son of God. He's fully divine. In other words, men and women, listen to me. The weary world can rejoice because God has come. Y'all, 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 y'all. God has come. He didn't leave us in this God-forsaken place because God does not forsake his creation and he doesn't forsake his creatures. Don't you ever forget that. Please. And notice the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. What is this? Well, David in the Old Testament would mean so much for people who would hear his name because it was the glory days of Israel. And yet David ultimately failed as a king. Two generations after him, the kingdom was divided, and slowly Israel began to decay, indicating that while David had some greatness, there needed to be another king, another true king. We need a perfect king. We don't need a good king. We need a perfect king who will live forever. And that's what this king is. As Gabriel says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The long-awaited Messiah. Now, you've got to understand something. Jesus did not come to restore the good old days. He didn't come to bring Mayberry back. He came to bring in a new kingdom. To restore everything that's wrong back to its rightness 
He's come to give us a hope and a future. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And why is that so? Because He will reign over Jacob's descendants, the people of God, forever and ever and ever. Men and women, listen, we were not made. I hope you don't take this as unpatriotic. I'm a patriot. We were not made for democracy. We were made for monarchy. We were made to be ruled. We were not made for self-rule. Do you know why we have three branches of government? Because the founders ultimately knew that we needed checks and balances. What were the checks against? The other that acted out of an impure motive. And they decided they came up with three branches of government who were all operating selfishly, if you will, they would check each other. Guess what? Humanity was never made to rule itself. You were not made to sit on your own throne. God himself created you to rule over you and to love you and to cause you to flourish. You were made for a perfect king, and one is being birthed in this divine intervention. Notice his kingdom will never end because his kingdom will include all creation. Everything wrong in every place for all time will be made right. He's the playfulness of creation, scandal, and utter goodness. The generosity of the ocean and the ferocity of a thunderstorm. He is cunning as a snake and gentle as a whisper. The gladness of sunshine and the humility of a 30-mile walk by foot on a dirt road. Reclining at a meal, laughing with friends, and then going to the cross. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is beautiful. But most of all, It's the way Jesus loves. In every story about Jesus, every encounter, we watch love in action. Love as strong as death, a blood, sweat, and tears love. Not a get-well card. You learn a great deal about the true nature of a person in the way they love, why they love, and who they love. A great author I enjoy. Men and women, I want to ask you a question, or I want to challenge you on something. No matter where you stand with Jesus, would you take 2022 and get to know the greatness of Jesus? Decide for yourself whether he's great. But you will not live a great life until you know what true greatness really is. And I believe you will find true greatness in Jesus. And that's what this angel says to Mary. He will be great. Now let me tell you, why is your response and mind to the greatness of Jesus so important? Let me locate us where we are in the story. If you were with us two weeks ago, if you were not, I would urge you to go back to the live stream and look at the sermon on Revelation chapter 12. Here's where we are in the story, according to the Bible. The Lord Jesus has come. 
He's actually overcome Satan by his life, his death, his resurrection. He was snatched up to God. Well, now Satan, knowing that his time is short, is going after the people of God. That means you, I, we live in the world at war, whether you like it or not. You can stick your head in the sand and get your behindy blown off. Excuse me, my French. I speak French. You can stick your head in the sand. You can stand up and fight. A battle that's already been won. And how do we fight? Where are we in this battle? We're in the midst of a great war. We're bringing in the kingdom of light. And the gates of hell will not overcome this kingdom of light. In other words, it's only a matter of time and Satan himself knows it's short. Who are we fighting for? The hearts of people, just like Jesus fought for our heart. What are our weapons? Sacrificial love to our own crucifixion. And we will be raised again from the dead. They cannot take your life if your life is hidden in Christ. Did you hear me? They cannot take your life if your life is hidden in Christ. And that's why Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let me tell you something. If you have not found something worth giving your life for, if you do not know what true greatness is, you will be casual with your life. You'll slip by. You may end up being one of three things. You might end up being a professional skeptic. The Bible will not let you, for all of your life, be a professional skeptic. The Bible demands a response. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Jesus demands a response. He will not let you decide or go on deciding or living your life unsure. The Bible prevents, it presents itself as truth. Nazareth, oh, it's in Galilee to make sure you know that this is where this really happened. Oh, this woman was terrified just like you would be. Don't remain a professional skeptic. Decide yes or no about the Bible. Also, one foot in, one foot out. You got that problem? One foot in, one foot out? Another way to put it is this. I don't know if you're a fan. Are you a fan of Jesus? Is he a great guy or is he the son of God? Who came and lived and died and has been raised again from the dead for the salvation of any who would believe in him. You're just a fan because he's a great guy or are you a follower because he's a great savior? If you're a follower because he's a great savior, you'll walk the same road he did and it will be suffering. And it'll be your own crucifixion. And lastly, let me say this. Are you a cultural Christian or are you committed? Think about that. You know, it's still culturally acceptable to be a Christian, especially in the South. 
But I can tell you this, men and women, there's so much more to Christianity than the culture. And why is that true? Why is that true? Because Mary's surrender pointed to a much greater surrender, and I don't want you to ever forget this. She said, I am the Lord's servant, and may it be as you've said. Jesus, God's son, said, I am your son, not my will, but your will be done. And he did it. Not my will, your will be done. He did that to save self-willed people like us. In other words, men and women, I can't say I am the Lord's servant until I rest in Jesus as my Savior. I will be self-serving until he changes me. And so it is for you too. An announcement, an intervention, and an incredible acceptance to the glory of God and a weary world can now rejoice. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the privilege that we've had to celebrate this wonderful Christmas season, even as we anticipate Friday night together. And Lord Jesus, we praise you as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, of which we are the chief. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.